I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. This is Neil Anderson. Welcome to my podcast. This is Return to Real. This is where we ask questions of all the experts in the health and fitness world, and we discuss them, and we go into depth. And the other day, I was talking to my cousin, Julie. Julie was telling me, I like to listen to your podcasts, Neil. They're not too bad. I like some of the guests. She goes, but I got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I care when you interject your opinion. And the reason that I'm not sure I care is because I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. So I decided that I would go and have that conversation today. I've invited Amy Choate Nielsen. You'll know Amy as a journalist and a reporter um, and a columnist for the Des News for the last like 13 years. She asks the hard hitting questions. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm scared of her. Always have been. And But I brought her on today to ask me the questions that I would ask me um, from a journalist's point of view. And I thought maybe we could do the conversation that way. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to turn the, the I, I guess, the podcast over to Amy. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Neil. I'm so glad to be here. I'm scared. <laughs> I, <laughs> we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to talk about why you'd be scared, but I think, I think this you're is- funny, Amy. Here's the deal. <laughs> like every time you and I talk, you're always pinning me down on some issue. Like you, <laughs> you make me think deeper than anybody. I should have picked anybody to do this show, but you, but I do like the hard questions and I want to go deep and I love what I do. So uh, I guess, I guess you're the very best choice. Things that, that people don't know about you is you're the winner of the Sigma Delta Chi Award for Investigative Journalism here in town. There's only been four Utahns that ever won that. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Aim. Thank you. Four at the, at the Deseret News. At the Deseret News. Not sure about the competition, but okay. yes. Thanks, Neil. Um, I'm so excited to do this because I have come to know Neil for the last couple of years. And... Um, Maybe it's mutual. Maybe I've been a little bit scared of you in the past too. <laughs> but I have been really impressed getting to know your thoughts and your approach to health and wellness. And so I think this is a really great opportunity for other people to get to know where you're coming from as well. Um, so let's start this way. Tell me, tell me um, how Neil Anderson came to form this program called GPP. Okay. So GPP was born out of frustration for me. I was, uh, I was a trainer. I went through college. I, I got a degree in exercise science from Utah state and I thought I was going to be a physical therapist and I hated that job. I started working for a physical therapist about my sophomore year. And I worked there for five years in Brigham city. Randy Rapp was, uh, my my boss back then guy i learned a lot from anyway um i hated it It, it, listen 
you got to have a heart of gold to work as a physical therapist. You really do. You got to you got to be a different person and a better person and a more special person. And I'm not. And so I, I just I found it depressing. I, I found it really tough to do. And I was telling him this and I was lucky because I got involved in cardiac rehab. And that's something that I loved a lot more. Um, and then one night after school, um, I, a lady was like, I, I really don't know what to do. Randy's been Randy was the therapist. He was like, she was like, he's been teaching me all this other stuff to do. And now my my Medicare or whatever my insurance was has maxed out and I'm not done. So I talked to Randy and Randy's like, you know what you ought to do? You ought to take her in the back and train her. I had a little personal training certificate from the American Council on Exercise. So I took her in the back and I trained her and I was like, this is it. I love this. This is perfect. I love training people. And back then I would just go in the back of the hospital and I would train people that were not quite out of physical therapy, but they were out of the payment for physical therapy. They were out of the insurance. And I loved that because it was more hands-on. And in general, the people that I was working with were really highly motivated to get better. So I did that for two and a half, three years. And then I moved down to Bountiful. I started training in Bountiful and Salt Lake area. And somewhere around the two or three year mark after that, I started running into these roadblocks. I was frustrated with my profession because I didn't think I was helping people. Here's the problem. The problem was that people would come in with a with an intention of looking better and feeling better and gaining health. And back then, you had about two programs you could put on them. You could either put Eastern Block Strength Training Protocol or bodybuilding. It's kind of the same as bro science, right? And I was putting bodybuilding on people. And I was putting bodybuilding on people that had no business bodybuilding. It was weird. But those were the two things you could do. Those were the two things that, that you could work on. Um, so I started doing stuff that was a little bit different. I had a client one day that came in. His name is Chad. And Chad walks in one day and he's like, all right, now here's, here's the deal. I got to go out of town. It's Monday and I got to go out of town. I want all my workouts in this session. I was like, that's a bad idea, Chad. I don't think that works. And he's like, well, and we argued back and forth for a minute. He's like, I'm not asking. I'm telling you, we're going to put all my workouts on me in this next hour. So I proceeded to drag old Chad through the gym, one exercise after the X next in rapid succession, which back then was against the law. You weren't allowed to, right? They were thinking that that was the kind of stuff that would break down muscle tissue. And don't you also know that your heart's a muscle tissue? So you're not allowed to do that kind of stuff. It's bad for you. But here I was dragging Chad around the gym and we get done with that workout. We get about 20 minutes into that workout. Old Chad throws up hard. He hurled. And he lays on the ground. It took him 20 minutes, closer to 40 minutes to recover. And he looks up at me somewhere in the middle of that recovery. And he's like, look, dude. He goes, I don't care what we ever do again as long as it's that. That's all I ever want to do. And I'm like, but Chad, this isn't a thing. Like, this isn't a thing. This isn't, this isn't scientific this isn't, there's nothing to this. This isn't a thing. He's like, I don't care. This is what I want. I loved it. So I start putting these workouts together for him. He tells his wife, his wife comes to me. She starts getting in shape. We put a perfect six pack on her within about, I don't know, 12 weeks. And she'd had four kids and was about 40. 
I was like, what? Finally, this is working. Something I'm doing is working. And so that's where kind of GPP was born. My general physical preparedness philosophy was born out of a frustration of the status quo. This wasn't working, man. Stuff we were doing wasn't working. And then we started doing this other thing. So there's something about you, Neil, where when you talk about the fitness industry and where we've been and where we're going, that you've always been someone to move the bar. You'll look at us, how things are working and you'll like with Chad, you'll throw all this other stuff at him, break the rules, get fired from your gym for taking this unconventional path. So what is it about you that's, that allows you to see things in that way or to think, here's what I know, what can I break about this and make it better? What is it about <laughs> you? That... I guess I've thought a little about this because I do get fired a lot and I get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and um, I think the thing about that is, A, I kind of have a rebellious nature, but B, I'm also a minimalist. I'm a dedicated, dyed-in-the-wool minimalist. I'm not the guy here trying to exercise because I like exercise. I don't like exercise. I would argue that nobody does. I get in a lot of fights about that. I don't think people like to exercise. I think exercising is anti-natural. I think your body will do everything it can to stay away from having to exercise. But where we're at with technology these days, we're all in a position where we have to, right? And I'm a dedicated minimalist. I'm not here to exercise. I'm here to gain from exercise. I'm here to get from exercise. Exercise is the servant. I am the master. And I think a lot of people in the exercise world have that backwards. And so there's a lot of people in the world that are running around seeing who can do the most exercise, who can have the best form, who's the best exerciser. And I've just never cared. I think it's a silly waste of time. I think it's a silly pursuit. I think the only thing worth getting is what you can get from exercise. I I don't think it's a very good idea. And I can kind of prove this, Amy. I can prove that it's a silly pursuit. And the way I prove it is I just tell you that I don't think there's a soul on earth that cares who the biggest, fastest, and strongest is. And everybody's like, everybody cares about that. That's the only thing the Olympics are about. I'm like, really? Well, then who is, who's got the highest bench press in the world right now? What's the name of that person? What is the number? What's the number that they bench pressed? Nobody knows. And do you know why? Because nobody cares. And so I think that there's a lot of people in the world that are just like me. They're also minimalists. And so I kind of have a rebellious nature anyway, but I'm also a dedicated minimalist. I don't want to do one more thing on this earth than I have to. And that comes, I think, from my farmer rancher upbringing. You know, you get out on the farm and you look up and there's just never an end to it. There's always more to do. And there's a, always a faster way to get something done. And that was, that's been my pursuit since I was a kid. You know, I'd, I'd only want to touch the hay bales X amount of times. I'd only want to fix the tractor X amount of times. You'd, there's only certain things I ever wanted to do. And that's kind of just stuck with me. That's why I get in so much trouble a little bit. And maybe why I'm a dedicated minimalist. I'm here to get from exercise. I'm not here to give to exercise. So, Go all the way back to when you were on that farm and doing the hay bales and um, growing up a country boy. <laughs> what was it at that time that made you think, you know what, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to study exercise science. I'm going to get that job at the physical therapist and I'm going to get every certification I can. Why did you start? Why, why do that instead of 
stay in the farm? What inspired you back then? You can't, there's, there's no money in it. And my dad was always pretty straightforward with me about that. This isn't something to do. This is a side job, which is why me and the boys did it. Me and my family did all the farming. Dad and mom both worked. So it was almost like we were latchkey kids, but we were running a farm at the same time. Um, yeah. So that's where it comes from is always frustrated always, but also, I don't know. I was going to be super happy just to work at the cheese factory over in Logan for the rest of my life. I I drove a forklift over there and loved it. And then I was going to farm in my spare time. And those are all the aspirations I ever had. And then I got some injuries like a lot of us guys do. They're in my, my um, profession. And I was fascinated by the science of it. I was fascinated. I'd always kind of been into sports and into lifting. I had a buddy that got me into it in my teens. I was into it and I loved to read the magazine articles. But then when I finally met a guy that knew stuff about things, I was like fascinated. So the knee acts like this. What are the muscles in the knee? What are the joint with the ligaments in the knee? What are the tendons? And that just, I had to know more. So off I went. I enrolled in Utah State and um, have been doing it ever since. It's all, it's all I like. It's all I've ever been into. I'm keen Did you ever consider did you ever consider any other major or any other path? Not really. I started off in pre-PT. I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I knew, learned later on that I hate PT. And I just don't have the right heart for it. And so, yeah. And then I thought, well, then I'll go be a physician. But I didn't start school till I was 25. So I knew that was going to be too long of a, of a thing. I graduated in three years. I started at 25 and I graduated at 28. And I worked pretty hard trying to get through school, but I just knew I wasn't going to be able to stick through it for eight more years. We got to talk about this physical therapy thing. Why do you hate, why do you have, why do you hate physical therapy so much? So, you know what? You have to have a big, generous, loving, kind heart because when people come into PT, a lot of times they have these really chronic, awful conditions. Their backs are hurt to a point where they're, if they get better, what I saw anyway, and this is just remember, this is my perspective of it, but if they get better, it's going to be incrementally so, right? The people that I always wanted to work with were the ones that just got better and went away. So you'd get a guy there that just had uh, a knee surgery, this athlete, this um, female gymnast, and they, they were hurt for about a week and a half. You'd see them twice and they'd get better and go away. And those are the ones I was so keenly interested in. But Unfortunately, we were an inpatient um, PT, physical therapy. So we'd have to go down the hall and we'd ambulate client patients. And um, we brought some folks in that were extra chronic and they were also um, terminal. And I can't deal with that. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that can go and treat a joint or treat, uh, treat a patient knowing that, you know, these are the last days and this isn't going to get better. And it just overwhelmed me. I had a hard time with it. Uh, the people that I worked with were saints. They were wonderful. Me, not so much. Um, I find that hard to believe, but I can see what you're saying. That's always why I said I'd never be a veterinarian. Oh, right. You and couldn't deal with the dark side. Me either. There's, no, there's a real dark side to PT. There really is. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine there'd be some sports PTs and stuff that have it a little better, but the regular run of the mill PT, they're saints. Next time you see them stand clap for them. They're good people. 
They got big mm-hmm. hearts. All right. So where talk a little bit about the crossover between you had this deep, fascinating interest in how the body works and the construct of the body. You study exercise science and start working with people and then transition over into training people. What describe what the crossover is between your own personal interest and what you hope other people like the impact you want to have on other people through teaching them about fitness or um, how you want to impact the world around you. I used to be one of those dumb kids. So things have changed a lot for me. I started off as a, as a dumb kid that just wanted to get everybody bigger, faster and stronger. I kind of believed in it. So if you had great big muscles, then that was the only thing that sort of counted. And those were my training techniques. Um, But I kind of learned as I went along that those are silly. uh, I think for the most part, for most of it, those are silly pursuits running off, trying to see who's got the biggest muscles. There's like, 4% of humanity that cares about that and only 1% that can actually achieve it. That leaves the other 96% of us pretty much unaddressed. And most of us have got other thoughts that we want to do with our fitness. And somewhere along the line, that kind of occurred to me. It kind of occurred to me that most people that walk into my office and hire me as their trainer were, they, they had, they had thoughts that were more altruistic. A lot of times if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, you know, um, I just, I want to be able to keep up with my kids. I, I value the thought of having health into my old age. And health to me means I can go climb a mountain or I can go swimming or I can go um, water skiing. There are things that I want to do with my fitness that were kind of against what my mind was. My mind was, well, it's all about aesthetics. It's all about how you look. So for me, that's changed a lot. Back in the olden days, all I cared about was putting a, a great aesthetic and I, I was selling them on an aesthetic and they came asking for a health or a type of health that I wasn't connecting with them with. So over the years, I just started learning from them. People started helping me understand that what, what we really do want, what most of us really do want is this really altruistic, cool thing. People want to use their fitness, Right. I've always had kind of a saying in my gym where we do in here so that we can do better out there. And that's the point, right? Nobody wants to come in and do great in a gym. People want to do great in life. They want to do great with their business. They want to do great with their careers, with their families, with their their spouse. Nobody cares about what happens inside of the gym. It's what happens outside of the gym. And somewhere along the way, that kind of changed for me. And my training techniques have sort of reflected that. And I put that together with some minimalism. And for me, that that's how things have changed kind of for me over the years. I think I've started to dial into what the client wants, what they really want. That's true. That's me. I walked into your gym and I want to be able, I, I mean, my kids were younger then. I want to pick them up and get the car seat in and out of the car without throwing my back out. I want to carry them on a hike when they're too little or too young to walk. Yeah, I think that's true. I totally identify with that, that, um, I don't want to be in the gym just to be in the gym, to wear my clothes in the gym, (laughs) 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 the right matching clothes. Um, there used to be an element. I think, I think back in the olden days that fitness used to be that I've been in the fitness business now 26 years. Right. And I'm telling you that in the 
late nineties to middle two thousands, there was that mentality. There truly was this popularity contest where people went to appear to be a certain way. But I've noticed that's changed a lot in the last decade. In fact, I haven't seen much of that at all, probably in the last five or six years. It's it's just people that are digging. They're showing up. They got stuff to do out in the real world, and they're coming in for capacity. They're coming in for function. They're coming in for health. And I think that capacity, function, and health, I think they all really do. There's a weight loss component to that for sure. There's a how you look component to that for sure. So, um, but I, I think that is functional. I think that is a, a healthy function of daily living. So I embrace that. It's just not the focus anymore. Yeah. So you mentioned one of your sayings, we do this in here so we can do this out there. There's arrows pointing and there's a bunch of thing, other things written on the walls of your gym. What are some of your favorite sayings or mantras or slogans about <laughs> I'm not sure I can say one of them. One, one, one of my very favorite is just hard not. Just hard not. Right? You, you get this. That, that's one of my favorite. I, I don't need to go off on that too much. But I love the thought of that. I, I love that just because you look fit doesn't mean you're healthy. That's another writing we have on the wall. Um, I love those writings on the wall, by the way. I had a guy come in, I'd tell you the story, two, three, four months ago, something like this, just before COVID. Um, Lou, one of our guys that's been with us for a decade now. So I opened in 2010, and Lou's been here the whole time. He brings a couple guys in. They walk in, and you could just see all of all the blood run out of their face. Because, you know, probably Lou had been sitting there talking to him about what a great place this is, how wonderful it is, how great the people are, what the... I don't know. I would have guessed he probably talked it up a little bit. They come walking in, they look over, there's writing on the wall everywhere. And you can just see all the color wash out of their face. Like what? And then um, 25 minutes later, the guy comes walking up to us. He's like, I have to tell you something. I walked into this place and I was completely underwhelmed. I thought it was a farce. I thought it was silly. He goes, 20 minutes later. um, I get it. I get it. There's energy. There's energy. He goes, and then he spoke specifically about the writings on the walls. We just hand wrote stuff on the walls that appealed to us. Um, he's like, I get it now. He goes, there's energy behind every one of those. He goes, I found myself in the middle of the workout looking up and I would see one of these writings. Like I can do hard things. And, and, um, you know, he, he would be like, it, it inspired me. And then I wondered who wrote it. I wondered what they were going through in the middle and, and I wonder who inspired it. And he goes, at the end of uh, four or five sets, I was ready to look at another thing and it got me through my workouts. And I'm like, see, you got it. There's energy in here, dude. That's so true. So what were you thinking when you wrote that um, excerpt from the poem? Uh, it's Yeah, yeah. Why did you, what does it say and why did you write it there? I can't quote it to you. I guess I don't know off the top of my head. I can tell you there's two two poems, three poems. There's um, on the wall. Um, one of them is Invictus. Um, I kind of can't think of the other two. But my favorite one is Rage Against the Dying of the Light. Um, mm-hmm. I heard that one time. That's, uh, yeah, I have it here. You want, I can read it to you now. Lindsay, like, mm-hmm. pulled it up and has it for mm-hmm. me here. Mm-hmm. I used to have this memorized just because it meant so much to me. 
This is uh, William Ernest Henley. And I, the way I understand it, like this is the only thing he ever wrote that any, anybody ever knew him by. Do you know anything different about that? No, I don't. No. I think I'd know the poem, but I don't know anything. I'll read it to you. This is my favorite thing. So we wrote the whole thing on the wall. Generally, it's just a sentence or two. This is the whole thing. It says, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I've not winced or cried out, nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I love that. You seem like you get a little emotional reading that. Yeah. Yeah, I do a little. Like, I guess I've had that up there for six or seven years. You can't imagine. I don't know. This is silly. You can't imagine the people that have came to me and told me that meant something to them. Like I freaking wrote it, right? Like it's so stupid, but <laughs> it's inspiring to to be able to look at something like that and just think, "I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain." Like it's empowering, which is the point. I don't care about your six pack abs. I care about that. Yeah, and a lot of people, I think they relate to that because. Um, you know, in life, it's, there's a lot of things pushing against that, making you feel like you're not maybe the captain of your soul or the master of your fate. And so isn't it interesting that by doing something like bicep curls and deadlifts, bench press, you can claim that. You can come into my place. You can be in complete control. So fun, too, because I watch people find themselves at my place. In my place, we do these really tough workouts. You know, they're, they're tough. <laughs> yes. And there's some magic to the toughness, and it's not all physical, right? You can come in there and kill a physical workout. And if you do, if you do, you can find a piece of you that maybe you didn't know existed or that you haven't seen in a long time. That's meaningful because you can find little victories. I, I, I've found that people will, they gravitate to the physical because it's the only, only one that you can touch. It's the only aspect of health you can touch. There's, there's mental aspects, emotional, social, spiritual, intellectual, environmental. Um, and there is physical right? There's a physical aspect. And the thing about your mental, emotional, and spiritual health, your social health, none of those, you can't touch them with your fingers. You can't put your hands on them, right? But the thing that's so cool about the physical health is it, is the, the improvements that you make with the physical, they transfer. It's the same process to, to improve the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. Right. You have to know about progressive overload. You have to understand about pain. You have to there are things to know. You have to you have to overcome certain amounts of fear. 
And in my little gym, a person can come in here and they can, if they'll pay attention, if they'll really listen, if they'll, they'll watch their body, they can take these little victories. They can learn from these little victories that they have with the workout. And then you just have to apply it to your financial health in the same way or your, your social health. Like if you struggle making friends, like you have to do the things that scare you. You have to go out of your way. They're, these things all transfer. And I learned that early on. And I can see little victories in, in my gym where people have breakthroughs and they're not always physical, right? They do have physical breakthroughs. My, my hell, the stuff we do in there, just really my hell. But <laughs> the other part is people will take control of, I guess, their fate. They're, they are the captains of their soul. And once you get a little bit of confidence in with the physical, once you understand that if, I can move that weight on the ground that last week I thought was no chance I'd touch that, but here I am actually doing it. Well, the rest of your life isn't necessarily something you'll be like scared of, right? Does that make any sense? What, this It transfers the stuff we learn in the physical it's, transfers. I totally agree. You can, when you do something that's hard or you thought you couldn't do it, I feel like you learn that, little i think that's what strength is and i like how you say that you cannot put your fingertips on your mental strength or your emotional you know strength there's obviously through life experiences that comes but in learning something physical i couldn't run a mile in under eight minutes or i couldn't deadlift this much weight to i think it creates that neural pathway in your brain that says you can you can do this little bit by little bit you can get there you can do if you can do this one thing you can do this other hard thing Um, what's magic about working out that's what's magic about working out is all of these things that you think are impossible can be laid manifest right in front of you and eventually they're not so if you're like well i don't think i can do that thing and then you end up doing it well, there wouldn't be another aspect of your life that doesn't apply to. And that's the magic. I, I wish people would quit working out to lose weight. I wish mm-hmm. they can do it. Of course they can. I'm not saying not to, but I wish that that wasn't their point. I wish people would look at this as, as a way to master, be the, the master of their fates and the captains of their souls. Because that has carryover. That has meaning. And that has you can always lose your six pack, but you can never lose your bravery. You won't. Once you learn, once you learn what you're made of, nobody can ever tell you different ever again. That's the stuff I care about. That's the stuff that makes me tick. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, Amy. I have to take a break. Mm-hmm. We'll come back. We'll reintroduce the show. And then do you have more questions? I do. I have more questions. I never don't have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for doing this today. I appreciate this conversation. Yeah. Okay, folks, you're listening to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson with Amy Choate-Nielsen, and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson. I'm here with Amy Choate-Nielsen. She's a reporter and a columnist for the Des News, was for a very long time. And it's my turn to be in the hot seat today. I thought we've been having a pretty good conversation. It's all about me, and those are the ones I like the most. 
Um, (laughs) What I'll do then is I'll just throw the time back to you, Amy. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Um, Maybe we'll get into your narcissism a little later. (laughs) Yeah, it's rampant. It's terrible. Everybody already knows, though. Um, I want you to tell us a little bit um, about the myths of gym etiquette or whatever. I remember you writing something. uh, The funniest stories you tell are the ones of the stereotypical gym guy or girl who walks around and drops his weights. I, I need you to tell us a little bit about those those types of people and then and what some of the myths the things that you must never do in a gym are okay and i'm only getting look i don't believe in any of this stuff but i do need everybody to know that there are things that that uh, there are they're, they're not gym myths they're actually gym lore there are are things that you have to do if you're going to be in a gym there are things that you should know there are unwritten rules of the gym and i wasn't made aware of this until i was in my mid-20s and I was working out at a place called Jake's Gym in Logan, Utah. Jake's Gym was this little, it's nice now. So I feel bad because I might be ripping on a great place. But back when I was in college, Jake's Gym was this uh, little rat hole of a place. It was like everybody's gym that they used to go to back in the early 90s, right? It was rusty bars, torn naga hide, broken mirrors. Everything was on the floor, everything. Like nobody put anything away, but I don't think there were racks to put anything on. So I'm sitting there lifting, and I used to get sort of intimidated by the really big guys in the gym. And they had this really, really, really big guy in the gym. And so when when I'd look up, I'd be looking for him, and I'd go to the opposite end of the gym like some of us do. I got intimidated pretty bad by him. And one day... He was down doing this thing that I wanted. And so I was kind of waiting for him. And instead of waiting, I went over and grabbed onto this ab machine. They had this ab machine that you could sit on. You put a hand on an elbow on this side, an elbow on this side. You could twist it, right? Now, I didn't know it was an ab machine. I thought it was an arm machine. So I'm sitting there pushing it with my arms instead of twisting it with my abs. And from the back of the gym, I hear this booming voice, scary voice, like, like, monster-esque if i if if i thought i knew what bigfoot sounded like it would sound like this right it's just like hey and it echoed throughout the gym if you don't know how to use the machine get off of it or whatever and he threw some swears in there that i didn't bother putting in here and a i wasn't expecting him to say anything and b i was scared out of my mind right turns out if you don't know how to use a machine there are police inside of the gym that will tell you to get off of it. You're not allowed to, to just know. And back then, we didn't have the internet. You can go look these things up. You just had to know what to do. They didn't have pictures on it or anything. So one of the things is, if you don't know what you're doing, don't come in the gym. You're not allowed. And I think that is a message that permeates to this day. And I want everybody within the sound of my voice to reject that notion. Call it bunk. Tell everybody that's BS and don't listen. If I'd have had the guts, I'd have just looked out, up at him and told him to shut up. And I wish I would have because he was just bullying me. That's one. There's other unwritten rules of the gym. Like uh, you're not allowed to put your face, your uh, plates out. Meaning there's weights on your plate. There's names on your plate. You're not allowed that to today. put that out. Yeah, I, I did that <laughs> to you today. <laughs> Because you're showing off. You're not allowed to show off what your weights are. 
My turn five that, pounds. <laughs> turn that weight around. Put that five on the inside. Nobody should be able to see it. Right? That's one. There's there's all kinds of good stuff that I agree with about wiping off your equipment and don't hog up a whole corner of the gym. There's stuff like that. But for the most part, all of this stuff is kind of dumb. I reject all of it. And I wish that it didn't exist because I think it keeps people from getting healthy. Because not everybody is dumb as I was and would have stayed there after that great big guy screamed at him. Mm-hmm. It's true. I think there's a lot of that when you walk into a place where you're kind of putting yourself out there. It's intimidating, which we've just talked about. There's a lot of things that can be scary in there in the gym. Ignore um, them. Ignore them all. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. you have on. It doesn't matter what your program is. It doesn't matter that you don't know what to do. Show up. Because the only way you're ever going to learn what to do is just show up. You're going to have to put some reps down. That's all you got. You got reps. Mm-hmm. And you'll look silly your first couple of times doing it, but that'll change. Um, so tell me a little bit. This is kind of around the circle. We talked a little bit about um, who you are, but tell me a little bit about what makes you different from the other guys. I think a lot of it's obvious. I don't think a lot of the other guys have Invictus written on the wall Mm. or would feel so strongly about it that they could come to tears thinking about the impact they have. I didn't come to tears. What are you even talking about? That didn't happen. Oh, I mean, that's right. Allergies. Um, It's hot today, too. (laughs) You know, my eyes got dry. (laughs) Um, But... You mentioned your um, exercise science degree, and you mentioned working with a um, physical therapist and uh, cardiac cardiac rehab rehab. Thank you. Um, glaze over your certificates, or tell us about your certificates, and either how many you have, or why you don't think that they really matter. I don't think that they really matter. I think that, oh, yeah, I'll just say it. Um, I think that they're money-making schemes, and I think the reason that I got 13 of them over the years is because the last one that I got, didn't I didn't feel like prepared me to go help anybody. And I think that they're, uh, they're just these ways of credentialing somebody that doesn't really prepare them or help them become credentialed. I, um, before I did the CrossFit certification, which is one of the last ones that I ever did, um, I'd never touched a human. I'd never put hands on a human um, through a certification. No certification ever told, took me in the gym and said, okay, how do you move this this machine? Or how do you do this exercise? Or well, how do you instruct this energy exercise? Um, I never got any of that. It was all just this theoretical learning. And so somewhere around number 13, I stopped sitting for them. I, I stopped doing it and I've let them all expire. And I don't care. I, I probably am not employable anywhere outside of my own gym because of that. Like, they want you to have these certifications, and I think that all they do is waste your time. I think they waste your money, and I think they're intended to keep what? I guess they're intended to keep people out of the courthouse instead of helping people get healthy, and I think the point should be to help people get healthy, and I think that that will certify most people to do well by each other. So, I think most people can certify themselves to be their own trainer. And I think the passionate will also certify themselves. And that gets me in a lot of trouble in the circles that I run in, but I don't care because I'm right about that. 
I've seen some great trainers in this world that had no certifications. And there really is no, in my world, there's no agreement as to which certification would be the best. Like this certification trumps this one. There are more expensive ones and less expensive. And I guess you could say that the more expensive ones are probably more valuable, but they're not to me and never have been. I've paid a lot for them and paid a little for them. I still felt unprepared. For context, is 13 a lot of certificates? Like, Yeah. What, what most, is- most people you know or most trainers you know haven't even gone and got their one yet. Um, so is there, you talked about the circles that you run in and how you get in trouble. Are those circles fellow, um, health industry professionals? Or are they, are you talking about just your friends? Cause I'm wondering about the competitive side of the health industry of this fitness industry. And if you, uh, feel that, or if it, um, or if you're kind of insulated from it. I'm a little insulated from it, but I've been doing this for a long time. But back before I became super insulated from it, I took a ton of heat. In my world, there's this thing that goes on. It's the strangest, most hypocritical thing on earth. But in my world, there's this thing where you say, oh, I, well, people don't have the ability to say this. Oh, I don't really agree with Neil Anderson. What they'll instead say is, oh, you train with Neil Anderson? Well, um, wow, that's a terrible idea. Because not only will you not get fit with Neil Anderson, because you won't, that's just a given and everybody knows it, but he's going to injure you, and he probably he might even kill you. I think he killed like five people. I don't know what it is with my, with, with my world, but that's how they act. They're, and it's so hypocritical because... These are people who have said and presented to the world that I am a helper person. I help people. I want for the best. I want the best for people. Well, I'm a people. Well, why don't they consider me a people? Why are they saying the nastiest, most terrible things about me, but then be able to turn around in that same breath and be like, "Hey, man, um, don't don't be. Uh, I can help you. You're you're a good person." I've always found it hypocritical, so I insulated myself from the world. I do know the criticisms that are out there about me. Um, And I don't want to play that because I think there are a lot of people that are helping people out there and I might disagree with them and I might not be able to understand what they're doing, but they do. And I bet they're helping people. So I like anybody in my industry that's adding to the collective. So if you're adding, have you ever killed anybody though? Well, that's uh. (laughs) No, I never have. Probably. I probably, I probably haven't killed a soul. Likely, I haven't killed a few really deep comas, but no. A few people throwing up. Lots of those. Perhaps. Lots We're better people. about that now, too. Back in the old days, we used to find that to be a badge of honor. Yeah. Now we realize it's just dumb. I wondered about that because on the wall, you have a drawing of a yak and it's pointing out the door. Yeah. And when I first saw like, do you want me to throw up out there? <laughs> well, here's the deal. I want you to throw up out there and not in the gym because I'm afraid of your throw up in the gym. I feel like I would never be able to clean that up. And I don't know anybody who will clean it up. So if you throw up in my gym, I'm going to have to close it down, let it age over for like a decade. And then I'll come and chip it away after the smell and everything's gone. And that'll cost everybody a decade of fitness. So please, if you're going to throw up, please follow the signs. 
Okay. Okay. All right. But that's not the, the, the A standard. Like, I used to have a push yourself to have to throw up. Yeah, I used to have a mascot to throwing up, and we used to think that was pretty cool. And there were a lot of people who burst out that door and constructed puke piles. Um, <laughs> they're, just, they're just not that much of it anymore. We're, we've, all, we've all become a little more refined, I think. I like that. So talk about some other ways that um, fitness has changed since the 90s and since the days of Yak and how great that is. How else have things, how else have things changed? Fitness is growing a soul. It's, it's really fighting it, though, and it doesn't want to have a, a soul. It doesn't want to have good intentions. It wants to stay in its snake oil past. My, my group of people invented snake oil. We were the ones that were like, you should really ingest this snake venom because it would be great for you. And so for some reason, that perpetuated all the way through about the middle 2000 teens. Now it's growing a soul. People are starting to see that there's crossover in health and fitness that, that does cross over into your mental and emotional and social and spiritual. We understand that this isn't about being the biggest and the fastest and the strongest. There's still a little bit of that lag out there. I think there are a lot of people that are way behind on that. But for the most part, I think people are looking around going, all right, I get that a lot of my day is spent right here in front of a screen. And I get that that's not healthy. I trust the CDC when they say that um, I trust them when they say that that sitting is the new smoking, because that makes sense to me. And so I've got to do something. And I think people, too, are becoming super wise to what fitness is. I think in the old days, we used to just believe that everything was fitness and it all counts. But I think what's happening is that the fitness consumer is becoming discerning. They're growing up. They're becoming way more mature. And they're starting to understand that, hey, my arm does this motion. I should train it in that way. My shoulders do these motions. I should train them in this way. They're starting to wise up to what fitness and health is versus, you know, it's all about this one muscle or it's all about this one who can lift the biggest and strongest stuff. So in my opinion, fitness is growing a soul. It's becoming beautiful. It's becoming a part of your daily life. And um, I'm, I'm a real big fan of it. I'm, I'm excited about the direction that health and fitness is going. I think there's a lot of people that are coming out, injecting their voice into this thing. Like I remember in the 90s, when people were selling like the Abdominator 9000. All you have to do is buy this ab machine and you'll have abs of steel and look terrific like these models. And I don't think there's a soul that would buy that in 2020. And that gives me hope. Where do you see it going 10 years from now? Where do you see it landing? It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to be so cool. It's going to become a minimalistic thing. It's going to become this thing where people go in with their programming. They charge their programming. Um, and it's cool because I, I think that um, I think that there will start to be these programs that are built for all different people that have different um, intentions. But at the core of them, they're all going to look a little bit the same. Let me explain that. So on the outside, everybody has the exact same needs. Okay, you and I, no matter what our physical pursuit is out in the world in order to be healthy my body can do this many things right your body really only does four things 
It pushes, it pulls, it squats, it cores. And before now, people could go do one of those and call that fitness. The problem is we all understand now that I can't just do cycling, which is kind of a half of a squat and only a squat, but it's not doing any pushing. It's not doing any pulling. It's not doing any coring, if that's a word, right? And in the past, cycling passed as exercise. But I think what people are wising up to now is that your body is able to do these four things. And if you don't use your body in certain specific ways, you lose the ability to do those things and you lose the health benefits associated with that. So people who don't push, pull, squat, and core will lose the push and the pull and the core, right? Which means there are health benefits that I've left on the table. Now, what we're all starting to learn and that some of us have known for a long time is that you have to do all four of those things no matter what. And that um, if you want to go be a cyclist, you still need them. So now you're just putting cycling on top of your push, pull, squat, core. And I see that as the direction that the world is going. What will happen is we'll all understand exactly what fitness is. Here's the things that my body does. And if I don't use them, I will lose them. So they'll start incorporating this, what I call GPP, of course, um, into their lives. And then they'll start putting other healthy pursuits on top of that without taking away from the core things that your body needs. Does that make any sense? Yes. And I think the beautiful thing about that is there's room to age in that and room to, you know, go for your marathon or room to be a mom or room to be somebody who wants to work toward if they want to go into the bikini competition. I don't even yes. know the, needs, the needs of the human body are the same. Right from the very young to the very old, it, it doesn't. The, the needs don't change, but the intensities do. Right, the very young need push, pull, squat, and core. That's what play used to be. We used to go outside, and over a you know a sixteen hour day, they would do pushing, pulling, squatting, core, high cardio, medium cardio, and low cardio. Right, they would do all of this cool stuff, this anaerobic stuff, and cardiovascular stuff. Well, the needs of the very young don't differ from the very old. All that changes is the intensity. Yeah. Um, I like the message that you don't have to kill yourself in order to stay healthy the older you get. Um, right. well, but killing yourself is relative. <laughs> it's true. That's true. I guess deadlifting 130 pounds for me is killing myself. <laughs> and there are I just don't want to. <laughs> I know, I know, but deadlifting is important. Mm-hmm. Okay? So the the weight that we use that's that's arguable. Um deadlifting is not. People pick stuff up from the ground. That's a functional movement that every human being needs to have. And so you have to train yourself out in the world the way that we um we have to train ourselves in the gym the way we work we move out in the world. Deadlifting is just part of the gig. You have to. So, Neil, how would you say that you have revolutionized the fitness industry? I hope. I hope that I've just clarified what the human body does. I hope I've clarified how much you need to do, right? I I think we've taken the... 
the thought of doing an hour of exercise or an hour and a half of exercise. And I think we've poked, poked holes in that. You don't have to do an hour of exercise. I don't know who invented that. It's a silly thought, an hour, as if just a plain hour of exercise was going to mean anything to any, anybody. And a, a specific hour, an intentional hour, maybe. But why an hour, right? I remember watching my, my dad's horses. You could take the, a horse out and do about 15 minutes of work with him. That's it. He'd pull the trailer a little bit. He'd pull one of the wagons a little bit. He'd put him away, and he'd come back next time stronger. Well, I've seen that same thing in humans. I've seen a human do a four-minute workout, leave the gym, come back, and be stronger the next time. This myth about an hour of exercise is silly. I think you should set aside an hour to do some exercise, but do you need to be doing an an hour of exercise? No. You need to be doing intentional, purposeful, deliberate exercise that's that's meant to increase your capacity over all different times and domains that's that's what i've if i brought anything to the world it's let's let's be more minimalistic about this let's be more purposeful about this let's be more deliberate about this and let's do only that which is important and not one thing more i'm a minimalist that means i do it all i do all the exercise that it takes and i do the hard stuff Um, but i won't do another rep than i have to not one not here to exercise. I'm not here to give to exercise. I'm here to get. So what's something that if that's what you want to leave, if that's what you want your legacy to be or your impact on the world, um, pass on. What's something that would make you feel a sense of, of achieving that? Or what's something that makes you feel successful or I like you? This. this is a good thing to end on right here. I would love this. I would love to empower everybody to understand exactly what it is that they are doing with their workouts and to help them understand how whatever they want to do in their life. But I'd love it if they went to my website or they went to some of my videos or they went to my YouTube channel, whichever it is, and they were able to extrapolate the knowledge from me or from what I've created and been able to take it. And it's been complete enough that they were able to apply it to their lives of their own doing. They didn't have to ask another soul. I think everybody ought to be their own personal trainer, right? They ought to understand how this thing works. Your body pushes, it pulls, it squats, it cores. And they understand how often to do that, how much of that to do, how heavy to do it. And then they take that and make it their own. That would make me the happiest trainer that ever walked, just to watch people do um, their own training for themselves and have it be meaningful. I feel so bad for these folks that go out and they do three to five miles a day of running. They sit down and they feel like they're accomplished now. But what they didn't understand is they've still got probably 96% of the positive effects of exercise um, that they haven't haven't um, realized yet. And that's a shame. It's a shame that somebody put that kind of time and intention in, in, into any one thing and aren't getting the most that they could out of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I was going to ask you about your favorite day, the things about you that we don't know. <laughs> My favorite day of exercise? Your favorite band. No, like what's your perfect day? Like what's your ideal day? Oh, we'll have to wait till next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was where it started getting personal. And you were so funny last night because you were like, should I ask the personal one? I'm like, uh, I know. I know. You knew it was coming because you're like, this is a great place to end. <laughs> I know. I was just I about to. 
A- Amy Nielsen, Amy Choke Nielsen, thank you so much for this time today. Thank you. I appreciate I you for it. taking the time and sitting here and talking about me the whole time. <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> All right, folks, you've been listening to Return to Real. I'm Neil Anderson, today hosted by Amy Choke Nielsen right here on KSL. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.